Hey everybody, welcome to episode 204 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris, of course. I'm coming to you from Austin, Texas, hoping everybody's having a good start to their week. I'm excited about today's episode. In today's episode, we're going to follow up from episode 202, and I bring Jason Brooks back on for the as-promised discussion on how to manage stress. So in episode 202, we talked about total stress load as well as stress inventory And now we're going to be talking about a concept called the stress management audit, which is a way to work through some of that unproductive stress in your life and channel it into something productive or perhaps do away with it altogether. So I'll get to that conversation with Jason in just a second. Additionally, at the end of this episode, I'm going to be talking with Jason, who is one of our coaches at Rogue, but who also manages our one-to-one virtual coaching platform. And so those that are looking for one-to-one virtual coaching, we have a portfolio of coaches you can choose from to access to provide a tailored custom program for you individually. Jason leads that group of coaches for us. And so at the end of this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what our virtual one-to-one program is like and how it might be different from some of those that you see out there. So for those that might be interested in our virtual training that will be something to stick around for at the end of my conversation with him on the stress management audit. But before we get there, we've got to talk a little bit about some current events, some running news, as we had some really fast times going off this past week on the track. And it was set up as a world record affair in Valencia, Spain, but we had two world records fall this past week. One, the men's 10,000 on the track, and then the women's 5,000 on the track, both absolutely demolished. And these were old records that have been held for a long time, but some really big names in the sport. So we had the women's 5,000 world record go down by four seconds to Letsenebet Gide, who runs for Ethiopia. She ran 14.06 to beat Turnesh Tababa's world record from 12 years ago in a massive, massive world record. And then we had Josh, Joshua Cheptegei, who ran the 10,000 on the track and who only recently broke the 5,000-meter world record. But he stole this time Kinesia Bekele's 10,000-meter world record by six seconds, running 26.11 to break the 16-year-old world, world record held by Bekele. I think that was the longest-standing track world record still on the books and it goes down down to 24 year old Josh Cheptegei Joshua Cheptegei and Gide is only 22 years old so you have these two young up-and-coming athletes who already have solid resumes who were absolutely able to obliterate these world records and it's pretty nuts especially in a year that has been completely turned upside down by this global pandemic that these athletes were able to pull this off. And so it does shine the light on. A big question that's now going to be facing the track world is what is happening with the new Spike technology? Because essentially the Nike AlphaFly technology and the VaporFly technology that has taken the roads by storm and, and that has turned the marathon upside down has now actually taken the track by storm. Nike has a new track called the Dragonfly that is in many ways responsible for these world records. We don't really know exactly the impact because it hasn't been studied scientifically yet, but based on some guesstimates of those in the know in track and field, we're estimating that potentially these these track spikes could be giving athletes 15 to 20 seconds advantage over previous versions of spikes which obviously is going to make a big difference and which would enable these types of world record type runs. And of course, World Athletics has created some new rules around this in that the track spikes can't be more than 25 millimeters thick, but that's well within the boundaries that Nike has created for this new spike. So it's essentially a moot point, at least until they change the rules. And it leaves us unfortunately wondering whether these two athletes were better than their predecessors whose world record they broke, or is it simply that they now have better shoe technology? And that will be a great debate that is going to extend, 
I believe, into the next year as we approach the Tokyo Olympics. Now, of course, we can't take away from these r- results. These athletes still had to run fast and still had to run, run really impressive times in order to get these world records. But I'm not sure that we can yet say that these two athletes are better than their predecessors in Bekele and Tiranesh Dababa. But still, impressive results. And it's obvious that World Athletics is trying to drive interest in the sport by running fast times. And Nike has delivered the spikes to help do that. So if that's your thing, if watching fast times is your thing, then I think you're going to be in for a treat over the next couple of years as we see a lot of world records get smashed with this new technology. And so onward and upward we go. The stodgy old dudes like me will will be unhappy about it perhaps, but we'll still watch with interest and of course many will see it as exciting to see these world records go. So we shall see. Incidentally, Sifan Hassan was attempting also the women's 10,000 world record as well this past weekend and she fell short running the fourth fastest time all time in 29.36 due to what what ended up being wet and cold conditions on the track where she was running in Hingelope. So that's the latest on the track. A lot of fast times coming. Shoot that shoot technology is now landing squarely inside the oval as we head towards Tokyo next year. Okay, now let's turn to my conversation with Jason. As I mentioned, this one comes on the backs of episode 202, where we teed up in part one of this conversation, the concepts of total stress load and stress inventory. And now we're going to take that to action and help you manage that stress through a concept called the stress management audit. So with that as our intro, let's jump in with Jason to talk about it. Before we jump into the main focus of today's discussion on stress, where we'll extend our conversation last time on stress inventory and really talk about what do you do with that output that you have created, that's the focus of today's work. But before we get there, I just want to do a quick recap, quick synopsis of what we talked about last time in talking about the total stress load and stress inventory. So if you had to give us a Cliff Notes version, Jason, of those two concepts, what would it be? It would be that to to remember that the body, the human body is perpetually in a state of homeostasis or trying to regain homeostasis. And and so we have stressors coming at us from all different angles. We're putting them on ourselves at times, or they just come from our external environment and our body responds and adapts to that. We like most of the stress that comes into our lives because um, it either compels us to take action for the better, um, or it's something that we're putting on our bodies to achieve certain adaptive outcomes that will improve our performance. Um, So the and then I think the other important thing is to remember that there's no judgment about stress. Uh, this is really an exercise of reflecting on how much stress we have in our life, what stress is productive, what stress is counterproductive, and then making note, mental awareness of the counterproductive stress that we have in our life and um, kind of keeping tabs on that. And that would be the stress inventory concept. So what we want to try to avoid uh, and or manage is chronic stress of a counterproductive time. And so that's why we think about this total stress concept and thinking about how much stress is coming at us from different avenues in life and how much of that can at times be a chronic and counterproductive stress. How'd I do? Good. Very good. I like the emphasis on using the words productive versus counterproductive, really trying to bring that objective lens to stress and say, okay, of the things that are adding stress in my life, which ones do I want to keep because I find a productive use for them? Which ones do I want to walk away from or perhaps manage in a different way because I don't find it productive for me? That kind of objective view, I think, is the most critical element that we're bringing to this discussion. 
And so we talked about basically creating that stress inventory last time and identifying initially those two or three areas of your of stress that you want to manage in a different way and maybe take out of your life or or somehow shift to make it productive for you. Hopefully you've done that homework having listened to the last episode, but if not, you can do it now. Just quickly think through what are the areas of stress in your life that you find unproductive. And then we're going to talk about today the stress management audit, which is a really a way to put to work some tools to try to shift that stress away or perhaps shift it to something that can be more productive for you. So let's tee that up. What's the stress management audit, Jason? Okay, this is where we level up. So if uh, I've done a good job of reflecting on sources of stress in my life and taking some notes on that, then, and I, and I kind of pick out two or three of the top stressors in my life that I believe maybe are chronic and unproductive, then I want to think about what I'm actually doing to manage that stress. And so we're basically auditing ourselves and our stress management practice. So maybe I'll just stop there. That's the concept in a nutshell. How does that part of it sound, Chris? Sounds good, other than the audio craziness in the back there. Um, so yes, it's taking that stress inventory and then taking it to the next level of saying, okay, how am I managing each of these stress areas? And how potentially do I, want to, do I want to manage them differently to try to put some tactics to each one of those items? So when we get into it, when we dig into that process, what does it look like? Okay, so we, I, I like to look at uh, two areas of a stress management audit. There's, there's physical training. And then there is mental training. And we're going to talk about, like we so often do, macro and micro cycles of what we're doing. So there's kind of big picture, long-term strategy. And then let's say week-to-week, day-to-day tactics that we're constantly executing on to try to achieve those broader strategic objectives. And so if we think about, let's say, physical stress, we are tr- we're out training our bodies all the time right we're undergoing physical training through running through strength training for example in order to achieve positive adaptations and then there is a consequence of that training which is uh, some stress that we're putting on our bodies and so we want to make sure that we're doing things in the physical stress physical training context that help mitigate the stress that we're taking on from physical exercise so recovery running is one of those things you know uh, implementing a polarized training model where we're doing some high intensity training some low intensity training and some recovery running just to sort of support the physical recovery process after long runs or high intensity training sessions And then there might be other things that we're doing like at-home trigger point therapy or working with a massage therapist or working with uh, maybe a physical therapist or a chiropractor or some kind of practitioner that's helping you take care of your body physically. And then maybe you're doing some things uh, with like nutraceuticals or something like that to support your body hormonally, micronutrientally, eating well, sleeping so those are a few examples of tactics we can employ to to mitigate physical stress, counterproductive physical stress, right? And and then we have a my second category, broad category is mental training. And we talk a lot about mental training at Rogue, and this is maybe a little bit of a different angle on the typical mental training tactics we talk about and things like having a purpose are super important, but that's not quite what we're going to focus on today. Uh, This is more like um, the, the broader notion that the mind can be trained for improvements in cognitive, emotional, and and even 
ethical dimensions. And so we can learn to have better mental health over time. And that can have incredibly powerful effects for how we deal with things like emotional stress and psychological stress. And so this could be a mindfulness practice uh, as one element of it. Uh, It can be working on philosophically intellectual understandings of the world and the nature of humans and the human mind and how it fit into social circumstances. Um, So that could be something like studying Stoic philosophy or Buddhist philosophy or some other kind of philosophy that resonates with you and gives you a better understanding of the world and your place in it. Uh, Or it could be simply learning about politics and society or the environment or whatever it is that interests you, but just even the, the practice of learning and developing cognitively is super powerful for humans. Um, and, and so those are just a couple examples of what we can do with mental training. I guess another one that I always like to hit on is uh, actually working with a mental health coach, like a therapist, I like to call them mental health coaches, but you know, therapist. And the, the, the great thing about mental training is that unlike physical training, it doesn't really produce counterproductive stress uh, or else you're not really going about it the right way. It actually can help alleviate a lot of stress. And so, uh, while it functions very similarly to physical training in that through different tactics of mental training, we can achieve positive adaptations in the brain and the nature of the mind. We don't also suffer any sort of like negative consequence. Hopefully the act of mental training produces net positive benefits for us. Two broad categories, several tactics we use in those so high level, we're kind of looking high level at those. And then the the sort of like tactical element of it, Chris, is, is more of the like checking in with yourself on a weekly basis and analyzing like what is going on this week that's causing a lot of stress for me and how am I managing it? So more on the, on the micro level is kind of like doing maybe a weekly audit of what's going on with school. Am I still in remote learning this week or moving to a new paradigm kind of like practice is coming up for extracurricular activities. So is there travel? I have family obligations. Are we getting into the holidays? Am I fretting over my shopping lists and thinking more practically about, okay, how do I like sit down and and be intentional about the, the present stress, the sort of like acute in the moment stressors that might be causing me problems week over week and uh, work on making sure that I address those. And so that would be something outside of my daily mindfulness practice or journaling practice or reading practice um, or massage practice and thinking about like, how, how do I head off problems that could stem from unique circumstances coming up in my life today or this week? Yes, all good stuff there. And I also want to make it clear that some of the mental stressors that you might be facing could have physical solutions or could have physical steps to help mitigate those things or to turn them into more productive things. So as an example for me, and then I want to talk more broadly about examples, is, you know, there is stress in my household for me, for my, for my kids about being cooped up in the house all day, you know, me for my job and doing the work that I do for the most part right now. And then the kids obviously for virtual learning. And so one thing that we built into our routine is a almost daily soccer game that we play out in the backyard as a family, me and the kids, as a way to get outside, get away from the stress associated with work or virtual schooling and have a physical, fun, playful experience that 
fills us up a little bit before we go back to it. So that's an example of a physical situation that might actually help your mental state. And I think oftentimes those two things go back and forth. But what we're talking about here is is really the concept of you taking each of those prioritized items in your stress inventory and trying to apply tactics to them that will make them more productive. Some physical, as you said, some mental. But I also want to stress that it doesn't necessarily have to be complicated. It can be really sometimes just simple steps. So just to give another example that I want to hear from examples from you, Jason, you know, for us, mostly pre-pandemic, but now it's starting to build again as my kids are getting back into some activities that they can do safely. We have a decent amount of family stress associated with logistics, organizing our week with kids' activities, with the activities that we're doing with our jobs and so forth. And especially around weekends when our weekends now are revolving a lot around soccer practices and soccer games of figuring out who's going where and who's taking them and how are they going to get back and all of those things can add layers of stress to our world. That is all good in a sense that there are productive, really productive elements to it, but there can be some unproductive byproducts if we let it build. And, you know, a couple of just little things that we do as a, as a family and mainly as Amy and I to make sure that we're keeping that as a productive source of stress is, you know, we do like a weekly planning meeting, logistics planning meeting as a family to talk about when practices are, when games are, who's doing what, at what point do we, you know, do I have to take the kids or she has to take the kids so that all that can be coordinated with our work schedules. And then of course, we also do the simple thing of just having a, a shared family calendar on or Google Calendar where we can see, you know, both together and can be easily updated all the different games and things that we have scheduled so that with one look, you know, either of us can check that out from our phones and not have to go log into something or text back and forth about what's going on. And so a source of potential stress that we're managing with some really simple just logistical planning elements, nothing complicated, nothing rocket science. But both those two little tactics keep things more manageable. And that's more on the micro level. And on the macro level, you know, we have some overarching discussions as a family, as a parent group unit about what we want to how we want to manage our kids' activities so that we're not having them sign up and do too much. And so that that those are fewer and far between further between conversations about how do we make sure we don't bite off more than we can chew, but is also a big part of making sure things are manageable on an ongoing basis. And so that's one example. Nothing earth-shattering there. Nothing that involves having to download an app or see a therapist, although I'm not undermining or be, or uh, downplaying those potential tactics because those could be really important for other sources of stress but i just want to make sure that people understand it can just be sometimes simple steps to really help channel that stress into a more productive fashion so with that i'll pause let you jump in perhaps comment on that or provide your own examples jason Yeah, I, I like the, um, I was just thinking about a shared Google Calendar because I've lost that battle so many times in my household. Uh, but I live and die by my calendar. That's one way I remove stress is by calendaring everything. Happy hour, it doesn't matter what it is. If it's not on my calendar, I will forget. Uh, so, you know, I think we probably talked a lot about physical training and recovery modalities generally and how those can help manage physical stress. We've talked a lot about the concept of polarized training and, and like really how to sort of manage your physical stress. Uh, in that context, a lot of physical stress can also come from the the mental side of the equation. 
And so for me, I think this has been the biggest frontier of exploration and stress management for me over really the past couple of years. And uh, I, I got burnt out in my corporate job um, at SunPower Corporation about three years ago. And I had an epiphany in the wake of resigning from my position. I took about a 30-day sabbatical. And I realized that it, the human body can really normalize an incredibly high chronic stress load. Um, and it can be easy to overlook what's happening until it's too late, until you're, you're just like burnt out on something. And so I, w I was left sort of reeling and searching in the wake of that experience. And I, and I picked up meditation and um, I didn't really know much about meditation or the, the broader concept of mindfulness and what I was trying to achieve. Um, but I knew that I wanted to make some improvements in relationships, like how I interact with people on an interpersonal level and wanted to just generally improve my mental health. So I have a little bit of a less uh, negative outlook on life, like a more, a more positive psychological disposition, less cynical, easier to get along with, more playful. Uh, because it's so easy to take this world seriously. <laughs> and uh, and so for me, the the biggest sources of stress in, in my life in recent times have been emotional in nature. And they have had to deal with the most important relationships in my life. And I think that it's easy, especially when we're married and have been with a partner for a long time to take each other for granted and to let relation, relation, not just to take each other for granted, but to take our relationships for granted and let the health of them slip over time. And uh, I think that I, I get, I suffer the most physical stress as a result of emotional stress that comes from difficulty in my family relationships. And so I've tried to focus on that and focus on for myself, the source of those problems. And so I do some gratitude journaling and some positive psychology journaling through mantras and through taking notes of the things that I do right in the day, not just the things that I do wrong. So I'm not always beating myself up. I, I review my performance, like my interpersonal relationship performance. Uh, every, every day that I journal, I don't journal every day, but when I do, I try to kind of capture these things. Uh, and then <clears throat> I work on, um, on a mindfulness practice through meditation and, the thing that I um, have come to notice through this, there are two things, right? Like we're fighting a multi-war front for our attention in modern society between social media apps and prolific communication applications. We're constantly pulled in a million directions. And when our attention is shot like that, it's really hard for us to be aware of our emotional state. And so for me, I've been trying to focus on practices that help me become a less reactionary person. And that's been the core of my meditation and mindfulness practice is to be able to sit with discomfort, to be aware, one, like a, a aware of what's happening in my conscious state, thoughts and emotions as they come up, and then recognize them and have a conversation with them free of judgment, just to note what is happening and then make a decision about what I want to do with it rather than just react innately in some process of trying to distance myself from an uncomfortable feeling or emotion. 
And so, uh, you know, I think that that mental training is maybe a blind spot for a lot of us. It was for me for a long time. And that could have to do with the cultural disposition uh, of maybe thinking that dealing in mental training is is taboo or somehow wrong. There can be negative connotations around it. Uh, but for me, it's one of the most powerful ways to deal with stress on all fronts, right? Because a lot of the physiological stress we experience comes from emotional distress. And and so we have an opportunity both to improve the state of our mind as well as relieve physiological stress. Um, and I guess, again, the key for us always is to free up space for more stress in our physical training. And so if we can alleviate emotional and psychological stress and manage physical stress as best we can, then we increase our capacity for stress on our body that could come through training. And um, so that's my pitch. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing there. I, I agree with you. I think oftentimes we we underestimate the impact of the emotional mental stress often from other areas of our life we underestimate the impact of that on on our training and i think the the other important reality point out there is the fact that through this type of a stress management audit you can often work to minimize those things or repurpose or or push those things to be more productive for you you can often do that but sometimes you can't Sometimes life's coming at you too fast. And I think it's also okay as a part of this process sometimes to rec- just to recognize that you might have a greater load on you for whatever reason. And that that might require you to reduce your load or intensity on the physical training side in order to, to get through it. And I think sometimes we don't give ourselves the grace to do that. And primarily I'm thinking about big life events, but it could be anything really. You know, when I think about, like I I was talking to an athlete recently who is now an empty nester and, and she was talking about the impact of that, that big life shift from being, you know, a parent 24-7 to dealing with the stress of sort of worrying about them flying on their own. And that that was having an impact on her in a way that maybe she hadn't acknowledged. But I also think about, you know, any type of big life stress, whether it be, you know, big shifts in personal relationships, deaths in the family, deaths to close friends, big illnesses that you might be facing with or your family or friends might be facing. Certainly everything to do with this year probably qualifies for many of us as it's been a tough and challenging year. And so just know that this isn't necessarily about always solving, but it's about just being aware so that you can give yourself the grace that you need. And, you know, I think all the elements you're talking about, the mental side is really, really important, Jason. If we go back to that part of it, you know, I know for me, Last year, I had a last summer, I had a close friend of mine die at the age of 42 due to an autoimmune condition that just ultimately got the best of him. And, and I carried around without really facing it the way I needed to grief over that loss. And obviously, that's still there, you know, it doesn't just go away overnight. But finally, I was in finally six months after he died, I I made the decision to go see a therapist and really start to deal with it proactively, face that grief. And while I'm still processing it, the therapist gave me a lot of really good tools to help me channel that grief into a more positive way. Because for me, it was manifesting in a lot of anger that as an introvert, I was typically holding inside, which 
obviously becomes counterproductive and impacts your physical well-being as well. And so now I've been able to channel that into different emotions and, and process it more productively with the help of a trained guide. And sometimes we need that and that's okay. That is not a sign of weakness at all. That's a sign of strength to ask for help. And so I want to emphasize that. But even for things that are that aren't quite as extreme as a as a death of a close friend, there are lots of tools to help people with mental training. You mentioned the meditation concept. And that can look like as simple as, for me, sometimes it's just a matter of putting my phone down, laying in bed and staring at the ceiling and trying to just clear my mind for 10 minutes. Often that's what my meditation looks like. For some of us, it's moving meditation, just clearing your mind on an easy run without headphones in your ears. For some of you, you might need to work on it a little bit. And we've talked about it before on this show, but Headspace is a really good app for providing 10-minute guiding meditations that are really in bite-sized chunks that kind of help you work through that process as you're trying to get better at clearing your brain. So those are some tactics that could be used, but the list really is long and there's a lot of ways that you can go with this. But but our main message here is, you know, pick those one or two things and and keep it really tight to start. Pick those one or two things that you would like to manage differently and write down two or three simple tactics for each one that you can put to work. And then just see how it is. You know, I think sometimes it's easy to get paralyzed in this process and and wait for the perfect solution. And that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is is just coming quickly up with tactics that might help you and then putting those, deploying those tactics and seeing what happens. And then if it works, keep doing it, obviously. And if it doesn't work, iterate until you start to manage it in a different way. So I'll stop there. Jason, reactions on that part of it, the sort of ongoing adjustments that you have to make as you go through this process? Yeah, it's a journey right? There's not a destination for this, this kind of a practice. Um, like just imagine everything that will change in the future, right? The ways that our external environment will change, the ways that technology will change in our life, the ways that economics will change the nature of the global political system will change uh life like external stressors are always going to change you're going to get new jobs you're going to get promoted kids are going to grow up or you're going to have kids like you're 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 constantly uh in a dynamic and evolving environment and so it's not like you're just going to get to this ah, perfect state of physical or mental health. We're always working on this. Our bodies are going to change over time. We get older. We can't carry as much muscle mass. It takes longer for us to recover. We got to do pick up new tactics and techniques to mitigate physical stress and continually bring on new practices, try new practices to help us in our mental training. And um, just like, you know, physical training the, the act of running takes years to achieve some concept of mastery or something like that i've been at it 13 years competitively now and i have um just really scratching the surface of how to be a good endurance athlete it's the same as true with the mental training side of it that it's going to take a lot of time to develop a practice, to really come to understand it, to learn everything about it and how it works in your life. And so experiment, be patient, be non-judgmental. And I think that's it. Yes, it is a journey. And, you know, the thing that this tool has done for me is 
it allows me to quickly iterate. It's just a way to structure your thinking or around stress that allows you to quickly iterate to solutions and to adjustments on an ongoing basis. And that tool has paid dividends for me, especially during the pandemic, as it seems like stress is constantly morphing throughout this year versus prior to that, it was a little bit more stable from period to period. But every time I would feel a stressor bubble up to a place that's unproductive, immediately my mind now goes into this mindset of, okay, where does that fit in the broader stress inventory for me? And if it's something now that's a top two or three element that I want to manage, then let's go into the stress management audit and think through the two or three tactics I can deploy against that stressor in order to manage it more productively or eliminate it sometimes. And that has become, through practice, a pretty automatic thought process for me. And it doesn't mean that stress goes away for me. It doesn't mean that I don't have things bubble up that overwhelm me at times. But I could say that now I'm much better at executing on shifting something into a productive place from an unproductive place than I was a year ago or 18 months ago. And I know that a year from now, I'll be even better, especially as you have to deploy sometimes new tactics as as new things bubble up. So that's what we're trying to develop for you here. And I think you said it, said it well earlier, Jason, which is that we're really trying to help you make the stress outside of your training life be more productive or sometimes more manageable so that you can put more into the physical training to get more out of that, to go get those goals on the physical side. Again, not always possible. Sometimes the the life stress overwhelms, but but through this process, hopefully we can channel it productively or minimize it so that you can go focus on those physical goals. That's the job here. And as we say often about everything we talk about, don't bite off too much with one go. When you start to practice this type of thought process, keep it as bite-sized as you can so that you can gain momentum, build traction, start to flex this muscle in a way that's not overwhelming. Because if you choose three or five or eight things to try to manage and then have another two or three to-dos under each one of those, that's going to be too much. That's going to overwhelm you and not allow you to be productive and to have some quick wins. Instead, when in doubt, simplify. When in doubt, choose fewer things to try to go after. Try to get those small wins so that you can then build momentum to bigger wins. That's what we're emphasizing here. And so if I were to simplify it as much as possible, I would say pick one stress to go after. Choose two or three tactics to tackle that stress or to push that stress into more productive place and start there. Simple as that. And see how, see how you make progress, iterate on that, and then start to tackle other things as you have success. So that's my tactical bow on this. Any other thoughts, Jason, before we wrap it? I like it. The agile mindset and habit stacking. Yes. Yes. Keep it small. Keep it agile. Keep the wins coming so that you can iterate and progress quickly. That's the goal here. So we'll wrap this stress discussion there. Go find that one stress that you can tackle with two or three tactics. And we would love to hear how it goes. If you want to report back, feel free to drop us a message. And you can always do that at chris at roguerunning.com if you'd like to weigh in on this topic. Otherwise, now we'll switch to my conversation with Jason on our virtual one-to-one training. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like, how it works, and how it might be different from other virtual programs out there. So we'll bring Jason in again for this part of the discussion. Here we go. All right, Jason, we've teed up the concept of our rogue one-to-one virtual training platform. So I want to just talk a little bit about it. About it. You know, this is 
as someone would think about a typical one-to-one coaching relationship, this is includes all of what that would entail. But I would say that we think about it in a unique way. So how would you describe the rogue approach to one-to-one training? We take a very uh, agile approach. So we, I mean, I guess the first thing is this program, the, the value of it is built on relationships. So we have that kind of at the center of the model. But then we, we our strategy really and our tactics are driven by this agile concept where we don't want to write lengthy and prescriptive training plans because they often tend to fail soon after you get started on them. They, they hinge on, on kind of everything getting done throughout the process. And, and so we start with a high level strategy, which is based on a conversation with an athlete about their goals. And we really build sort of a long-term picture toward that. What, what kind of weaknesses are we going to work on up front uh, so we can hopefully turn those into strengths and then build and grow and cultivate those into a, an ultimate race-specific phase that leads up to an athlete's big goal. And we'll plot races along the way that support that progress. Uh, and then we write small batches of programming, usually like three to four weeks at a time so that we can use subjective and objective feedback on a week over week basis when we have coach athlete one-on-ones to make sure that we're going in the right direction and programming and to account for anything that might come up in life, like a family issue or work travel or something like that, that may require us to modify a week of programming or a couple of weeks of programming. And, um, and so by working in, in small pieces at a time, we can easily adapt and adjust programming week over week. And we can also make sure that uh, we're adjusting to account for the athlete's adaptation or response to the training load that we're giving. So uh, if we need to dial it up or dial it down, we can do that based on the subjective and the objective feedback that we're getting from conversations with the athletes and the data that we're looking at in our coaching platform. Uh, So that is it in a nutshell. We, you know, I think, I guess the other thing I would talk about in addition to the athlete coach relationship is we uh, are really working on developing this ecosystem of services concept where at Rogue, what we like to focus on is run coaching and being really good run coaches and not try to take on the additional responsibility of being a nutritionist or a strength coach or a physical therapist. And so we have a group of partners that we work with in these different areas who can provide the additional support and services that we need. So we have partners in strength programming. Uh, we have partners in physical therapy, partners in nutrition, and partners in mental health that we work with to make sure that we can provide the full scope of things we think are really important for an athlete to have in their toolkit. And we we then take our responsibility as, as coaches um, to be the ones that kind of help frame that broader picture of what it looks like to incorporate all of these different tools in our programming and really learn deeply about their value and application over time. Yes. So it's a holistic approach to help you get your goals fundamentally. One of the things I think it's important to mention is that there's a lot of programs that are focused on pricing based on how many times you get to talk to your coach or perhaps how you get to contact them. We don't really like those methods of pricing because we think it becomes too limiting and we certainly don't want our coaches metering exactly how much support they're giving to help an athlete get their goals. So we take a little bit of a different approach with sort of one pricing model option for our one-to-one coaching. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, that is a great point. Glad you brought that up. I have a more crass statement for this, but but basically the idea is that we don't want to sell mediocre coaching. Um, we want to provide 
the best coaching service that we can, period. And so we have just one offering, and that is one-on-one coaching at $175 a month. And and that we just focus on the run coaching, though. It's unlimited communication between the coach and the athlete over whatever medium they agree on. We'll adjust the athlete's plan whenever they need it, however they need it, at any time they need it, because we want to make sure that the athlete is going to succeed. And if we limit communication or we limit the amount of time that we're going to spend managing their training plan with them, then we're not really providing a great service or product at that point. And so we want to make sure that everybody gets the best coaching experience that we can deliver. And so we focus on that. And that's why we also have developed our our ecosystem of partners to work with us on providing the other elements that we can't necessarily provide. And the athlete can figure out which of those they need. They don't have to choose some kind of package or plan that we have that includes things that they don't want or don't need. Uh, they can basically pick like an a la carte menu of partners they want to link up with and get additional work done with. Yes. Ultimately, you're getting a partner who's all in with you on getting your goals. I would also make the point that we have a portfolio of coaches in our virtual one-to-one community that are prepared to help a variety of goals as well. So we've got those that might, those coaches that really are good and focused on the trail community and, and gearing up, you gearing you up for goals that might be oriented there, whether you're looking for ultra distance trail running or any distance trail running. And then we have coaches that are more experts on the roads and can help you with everything from 5k up to the marathon targeting PRs of almost any distance. So that's the other thing you're getting is potential access to, well, we'll pair you with one coach. We've got a portfolio of coaches that can help you with a variety of different goals. So with that, I think that's a pretty good overview. Anything else to add, Jason? That's it. I would say that you can go check it out. If you're interested and want to learn more, then you can go to our website, click on the train button at the top, and then select virtual one-to-one coaching from the menu. I'll also include that link in the show notes for those that want to check it out. And if you have questions or just want to know if this is something that's right for you, I know Jason's always good about helping those that are interested learn more about the fit for them. And so I'll make sure you have a link to his email as well in the show notes if you want to reach out to him directly and just talk a little bit more about it and see if it's a good fit for you. So that's an option as well. And that's it. We hope we hope if you're looking for a virtual one-to-one coach that you will consider us and potentially join our community. So with that, we will wrap this episode 204. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. You can also contribute to the cause on Patreon if you'd like. And you can follow me on Instagram at Rogue Chris. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. We'll talk to you guys next week.